I do want to pray again as we start the service. It's, it's been a number of, of pieces kind of moving this morning, and, and I just I want the Lord to be able to speak what it is that he really wants to communicate through this passage this morning. I certainly, he has placed some things on my heart. I want to make sure that I share them. I don't want to mess them up. I likely will, but my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal what it is that he wants us to hear this morning. It's a wonderful passage of scripture. It's going to interact and relate well to what we just witnessed with this idea of adoption and how we're pulled in and we're transformed. But I, I don't want it to be me and trying to force something. I want the Lord to do something. So will you just pause with me? Let's pray together that the Lord will do this work through his word this morning into our hearts, into our minds. Let's just pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. I ask and invite your spirit to do a work in me, do a work in everyone who's being exposed to this word of God this morning. Lord, this has to come from you. If it's, if it's from man, it's, it's empty. It's got nothing. It's got no power. And I'm convinced that you have something for us here this morning in this passage. And I just ask, will you, will you do that work? Will you prepare us to hear it? And then, Lord, I just ask that you lead us into a position where we will submit before you and let you do that transforming work in us that only you can do and that you desire to do. For your glory we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're working through the book of Thessalonians, and we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're getting near the end of the first letter, and I appreciated it, interestingly enough, that, that song that Daniel sang or led us in this morning with stars. And it's not, a, it's not a typical song that we would enter into a worship service, because many of us may or may not know it, but if you followed with what the power of that song and the message of it was, it was really this idea of who this God is. If he has all this sovereign power that we read about in the scriptures, if he is who he says he is, which I believe he is, then how in the world can I not put my faith and my trust in him as well? And yet that is exactly what we find it difficult to do. So as we get started, I, I wanted to point to what we're going to see here is Paul's going to, he's going to differentiate these two realities. It's this picture of light and this, this picture of darkness. And so we're going to look at, at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, and he's going to quote an Old Testament verse, an Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah. And he says, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And so you have in, in vision in the world, it's covered in darkness. You've been in a room where all the shades are drawn and it's dark, you can't see. And you oftentimes, if you're trying to navigate around the bed or whatever it is to get to the, the little boy's room, little girl's room, because you have to take care of business and you stub your toe on something that you didn't know was there, it's inevitable something like that happens when you're walking in the dark, something is bound to happen. And yet what we find here is in the, in the world that has been consumed by darkness, though we didn't realize that we're going to see more of that stuff, this idea of you're living in a dark world and many of us don't even recognize the fact that we're living in a dark world. And that should scare us. But what we're shown here, what we're encouraged by, despite the fact that we're living in a dark world, a light has come if we will only be willing to acknowledge and see the world for what it is through that light. So the people living in darkness have seen a great light. Quote from Isaiah chapter 9, I believe it is. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And so Jesus is talking about himself. He's like, in the midst of this dark world, the world is really horrid. There's no hope for the world. And in the midst of that darkness, the shroud covering the world, a light has penetrated. From that time, so after Jesus had shared this, he began to preach 
And the message of the preaching was to repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, the message was, in a world that is living in darkness, guess what? There's a light. There's a hope. I am that hope. And he began to preach, here is the light that I want you to cling to, and it's the fact that Jesus is coming, and the second coming is also on the way. Do you, you see that picture? That's what Paul has been pointing to us, is this idea that Jesus has not only come the first time, but he's going to be coming again. The kingdom of heaven, it's coming. I don't know when. That's been one of those themes and messages. We don't know when. But we can be assured that it's coming, and we're going to see some of that and dwell on some of that here this morning. So Genesis chapter 1, let's talk about this, this idea of darkness and light. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the first verses of the entire scriptures. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Can you imagine what this is like? That in the beginning, there's virtually emptiness, and God brings into reality from nothing this earth, and it is dark. And then he says, let there be light. And there was light. In the midst of the darkness, God had the power to just speak the word, let there be light, and light suddenly was revealed. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness and called the light day, and, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, and it was the first day. Can you imagine what life would be like if there was no light? If God had never said, let there be light, what would living like this be? Well, we'd get used to it. I don't know that you would, because you can't see anything. You know what I'm saying? And so this reality, when God brings light into the world, we should have our attention kind of peaked. Like, what what does this mean for us? What is this light? Well, in John chapter 1, we find, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning referring to Jesus Christ. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In other words, in the beginning was Jesus Christ, and he was there in the beginning, and everything in this earth that has been made was made through him and in him, including light. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and catch this now, and the darkness has not overcome it. There is no darkness that can consume the light of Jesus Christ. As dark as the world gets, it cannot snuff out the light that is Jesus Christ. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was a witness to testify concerning this, uh, the guys, men, myself, any of you, when, men, women, children, it doesn't matter if you're speaking the, uh, even for the sake of Christ. That's good, but you are not the light. You're testifying to the light, and that's what John says here. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to the world, to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, catch this, the world did not recognize him. God made the world. Jesus Christ, it's saying, made the world. He came into the world that he made, and we didn't see it. It was a big, huh? Missed it. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the light to become children of God. He gave this opportunity for adoption. If you will just believe, you will become part of my family. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and of truth. We're going to see this contrast of light and dark. 
through Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. But I think it's important that we understand really who this light is and this fact that without the light, what hope do we really have? And we're going to see that hope this morning. What's interesting, and I, I wrote this in the, the email that I sent out yesterday. It's fascinating sometimes. You know, my, my dad, I remember him recording, and he still does it. He records the Vikings games like every week because he hates watching the commercials and everything else. So he will record the games. He isolates himself. He's kind of a hermit that way. He isolates himself so that when the game is done, whenever at his own convenience, he can watch the game, fast forward in between plays, fast forward all the commercials, and he can see the end. But he will isolate himself in such a way he does not want to know the final outcome. I remember as a child that there was a phone call and he would not answer the phone. It, because he did not want someone to tell him anything about the game. And so I remember my wife, or not my wife, his wife, my mother, answered the phone and said, oh, it's, it's your brother-in-law. Well, tell him I don't want to hear anything about the game. Yeah, okay, he doesn't want to hear anything about the game. And so he, he takes the phone. He's got to get that heads up. And he, my brother, or his brother-in-law, my uncle says, ah, I wouldn't even bother, it was terrible. Kind of gave him the answer he didn't want to hear already. It was interesting this last year with the Vikings in their very odd season, you know, the game against the Bills. I, I was tracking with it a little bit, then I was not home, and so I didn't watch the game. And I remember we were so far behind, and, and then it got into be overtime, and it was astounding that we actually pulled it off. And I, I heard that we had won before I'd watched it. And so as I was intrigued, how in the world did they win this game? And so I went back and I looked at it, and you wouldn't have believed it by just being told. You had to almost witness it and see it and the, the absurdity of actually winning the game. But understanding the outcome was revolutionary as to how I watched the game. It wasn't the suspense of what's going to happen. It was now like, I can't wait to see how they're going to do this. I think that's the imagery that I'm taking here from 1 Thessalonians 4 through 11. Paul is revealing Christ is coming back. We don't know all the answers, but we do know the outcome. Jesus is coming back. And so we approach it with a different picture. It's not that suspense and worry anymore. It's like, ha, ah, what's going to happen to me? Because now I know what's going to happen to me because I've seen the ending. You follow? I understand Jesus wins. Well, how's it going to happen? I don't know but I know the outcome. I know that he's going to win. I feel like that's really important as we step in and navigate this. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Every single one of them. That's how we're born into this world. We're dead to our in our transgressions and sins. Well, what about, there's no yeah, but. That's where we're at. That's our position. We used to live there. When you followed the ways of this world, when you followed in the darkness of this world, you didn't, that's where it was. The ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. We had no choice but to continue to gratify the desires of our flesh and follow its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. This is important. We're deserving, and this is all introductory stuff because we're going to see some of these words in this passage. I just want us to have a grasp and understanding of it before we step into Thessalonians. We're all deserving of wrath. Remember the hammer and the nuts? Okay? If you don't remember that a few weeks ago, I can't give you the date. But we, you, got, you got the walnuts, and the God's wrath has to come down on it. It has to, has to, has to. And we are all objects of his wrath, but then Jesus covered us with it 
and saves us from the coming wrath of Jesus Christ, or from, from God. We'll see that. Verse 4 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. So we were dead. We were objects of his wrath, and then something transformed us so that we are no longer objects of his wrath, but now objects of his love. It is by grace that you have been saved. Romans 9 says it wonderfully too. He says, What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, which is all of us, We are prepared for destruction, but what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the subject of his mercy, mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he has also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people. In other words, we were objects of his wrath, and now we are different. We are members of his family. Huge contrast. I will call them my people. Who are not my people. I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. You ever read the book Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka? It's fascinating. It's about this man. He's kind of in his bedroom, and in this process of being in his bedroom, he's in, he's in with his, his mother and his father. Or they live in the same house, but he is in this room, and what happens to him is he begins to transform from a person to an insect. He just he goes from man, man into slowly, and Franz Kafka describes the metamorphosis process, and he becomes a bug. I hate bugs. I have a sister-in-law who's an entomologist. She has bugs all over her house in terrariums and stuff. We don't visit, okay? <laughs> Ooh, look at the spider. Want to hold the spider? No, I do not. <laughs> I will kill the spider. Uh, I don't like them. And so what happens in my home when there's a bug? I kill the bug. I'm sorry if you were offended by that. I, they are objects of my wrath. I see the bug, I will kill the bug. <laughs> Thank you. Do you see this? It's an object of my wrath. But now, take Franz Kafka's imagery going from man to bug, and let's, let's flip it. Let's transform it. And now it's like God has taken the bug, the insect, which is the object of my wrath, and he's metamorphosized it into something else. Oh, I love that kid. Do you see the difference? I don't want to crush that. And that's what God has done for those who put their faith in him. He takes us from the object of his wrath, from virtually like an insect. No, no. You are my people. You are my treasured possession, and I will have you, and I will hold you. It's an incredible picture. We have to grasp that picture in order to understand what Paul's getting at here in Thessalonians. Because what he's showing us, I'm convinced, you see the ending. Don't get wrapped up in the the distraction of the here and the now. That's what we're going to see. Don't get wrapped up in the distraction of the here and the now. Don't justify the here and the now thinking, this is good, when I've got something so much better in store for you. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is a recap, and this really shows us this picture of 
what is coming. This is that final moment. We saw, we talked about all over the last few weeks, this is where that king is coming back into the, the city. There's a great trumpet sound and people go out and they, this rapture picture, they go meet with him and they come back in the city. Oh, how's that all going to work? I don't have all the answers, but I see this imagery. I understand the, the end point, which is being with Jesus Christ. And we see that again here. So for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead will be raised first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. That's the phrase. I love that phrase, and we should then take that phrase and encourage one another with these words. So in chapter 5 now, in verses 4, we're going to start stepping into this and navigate through this. He says, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. Remember this whole light and darkness thing. You're living in a world that is covered with darkness, but you are not in darkness. There has been a light that has been revealed to you because I transformed you from the insect into an object of my affection. And you have to understand that difference. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Remember, we look at it in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is talking about this day. There's going to come this day when, just like a thief in the night, when a thief comes in to steal, he sneaks in. He catches the owner by surprise. And what Paul is saying here is you, you may not know when the thief is coming, but you're not surprised because you know he's coming. Do you see the difference? He's coming. Jesus Christ is coming. You may not know when, but you know he's coming. So you might be surprised. Oh, I didn't know when he was coming, but I knew he was coming. Well, there he is. I'm not surprised, but you, you see the difference, the contrast of it. And that's really what we're seeing in verse 4. In verse 5, he says, you are all children of light and children of the day. In other words, you don't need to live in the darkness. You don't need to live in a way that you're so consumed and distracted by the darkness of this world. Don't fall for the trap. I am so convinced that Satan's biggest attack is taking followers of Christ, Christians, and distracting us with worldly stressors. Chris said something this morning in our prayer time. It was like, what? That's really good. God's not stressed, like ever. Do you think about that? How many of you had any kind of stress throughout this week? Well, yeah. <laughs> what planet are you from? Consider this. God is not stressed ever. Do you think he's up in heaven worrying about, well, what's Satan's next task going to be? How is he going to attack these people? Well, how are we going to deal with that? He's not doing that. He's not sensing any stress. That's me. I'm stressing about things I do not need to be stressing about. We are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. We do not belong to the ways of the world because Satan is trying to so distract us with a bunch of ways of the world. In fact, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He's trying to distract us with also things that appear to be spiritual. He tries to distract us when it comes to from the, you know, whether if we're focusing on the gospel, he wants to pull us away from that. Well, maybe you guys should talk and deal with your theology and, and kind of battle amongst yourselves in the theology. I don't believe that is what God wants for us either. Verse 5, or Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. I am highly concerned for not only our country, but our world with that right there. We have got into such a dangerous place of justifying acts of evil and saying, it's okay. I'm very concerned about that. We all do it. And maybe not some of us on the, the grand scheme of things, but we all fall into that trap because we'll say things, you know, gossip. Oh, yeah, but that's so much different. It's not. 
because it's taking someone, I'm cutting someone else down, I'm doing other things to make myself feel better. Somehow I'm being distracted from the real true gospel and I'm making this about myself. This gospel is not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. And he, Lord willing, will continue to transform me from an object of an insect into something that is actually worthy of his wrath or his blessing. I'm not there yet, but he's doing a good work. Anyway, anyway, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. When we start killing and saying, yeah, this is good. See that first word, woe? In this scripture, it's pretty intense. You you don't get the grasp of it. It's just like, whoa, whoa. That's not the imagery. The imagery is like, "You you better get your head on because this is a big deal. When God says, whoa, you better listen, that means I got something wrathful coming. And it's not that I want to punish you, but I will not tolerate justification for things that I say are evil and you say they're, they're good. I'm not okay with that. And so if you're questioning, well, what is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? There's one place to look, and this is really the best place to look. Okay, Look in the scriptures. Don't try to figure it out on your own. Well, what about this and this and this? Look in the word, and you'll find your answers. I think for most questions that we may have, you'll find it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We have a habit. I have a habit of taking things in my life that are sin and I justify them. Yeah, but that whole yeah, but if you can't say rabbit, just say bunny, you know? Yeah, but oh, I get so distracted by justifying actions. Like, yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah. It's okay. And we all fall into that trap. Let us not fall to the trap of justifying sin. Sin is sin. Let us not get in the trap of calling evil good and good evil. Our world is permeated with not only evil, but justifying the evil. What is your role? And I don't have the answer. I'm, I'm challenging you, at least with the thinking. What is your role? to respond to the hope that you have in Jesus Christ when confronted with a world that justifies sin all day long. Verse 6, it says, So then, let us not be like the others. You're living in a world of darkness. You have been given light. Don't live like the rest of the world. And oftentimes we look at, okay, well, then I'm not supposed to smoke. I'm not supposed to drink. I'm not supposed to go with girls who do. That's kind of what it boils down to, right? That's how we, we jump into that. But it's a bunch of actions. You're missing it if you think it's just actions. This is deeper than that. This is how are you really going to live? You're not living like the rest of the world, justifying your own sin because that's what the world's doing. And they're, in fact, they're saying, this isn't even sin. This is good. Everyone should do this. And it's just evil, flat out evil. So let's not be like the others who are, and he uses the word asleep here. And we're going to contrast that very briefly here. We looked at that word before in verse chapter four, verse 13, but let us be awake and sober. The word here is different than what we found here in chapter four, verse 13. Different word that's being used. I know it looks like the same. It's English, okay? He said, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who, we, who have no hope. Different word. So in this case, in verse 13 of chapter 4, he's saying those who have died, right? Those who have passed on, they are dead. And this previous one, he's actually saying you who are asleep is like you're not being mindful. You're not, you're not awake. It's like you're ignorant. You're sleeping through the storm and everything else is going to pot around you and you're so unaware of it. And he's going to say, wake up. Okay. 
For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at day or at night. In other words, what he's saying is you're sleeping. You're missing the reality of the daylight. You're missing the beauty of the gospel because you're so engaged in making sure that you have what you want. You're so engaged in having all the things that make you happy. I don't think God's concerned with our happiness. He is concerned with our faithfulness. Matthew 6 speaks of it. So in our world, we're so distracted. You know, financially, we're distracted. It's like, well, the refrigerator broke. The dishwasher broke. The washing machine broke. Their vehicles are breaking. How am I going to afford this? And it's easy to be distracted. I know, because I'm experiencing all of that right now. How are you going to deal with it? I'm so distracted away. It's like, so I worry. It's like, how are my finances going to, uh, we can't afford all of this. How am I going to fix this? And so instead of focusing on that end point, I am focusing on my here and now. And I worry. And I know that I'm not the only one that worries. I know it. Many of you are worrying about finances. Many of you are worrying about your children. Many of you are worrying about your parents. Many of you are worrying about how long is he going to keep talking about this? Don't fall into the trap. And I know because I fall into the trap. Okay? I get worry. I may be the biggest worrier in the room. And I don't feel like I'm that bad. But it's like, wow, I'm really bad at this. But Jesus tells us, in Matthew 6, he says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or your, what you'll drink. This is a very temporary life. You've got something much better coming if you'll just keep your eyes focused on that. Don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body or what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Will he not much more clothe you? And referring to the flowers of the field and such. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans? In other words, the world is what's running after those things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. We don't need to worry. This just gives a, the picture of these two verses together. So then let us not be like others who are asleep and worrying about insignificant things. Let us keep our eyes on that end picture. Star Wars, the first movie, it, was, it came out right after I was born. So it's not, it hasn't been out that long. Uh, in, the, in the Star Wars, has anyone not watched it? I'm just curious because this is going to be a total spoiler for you. Okay, Everyone's seen Star Wars, right? Barb, Star Wars fan? That's good. Atta girl. Anyway, in, in the Star Wars, there's, there's a major battle station, the Death Star, okay, which I was growing up, I thought it was the Depth Star. I don't know what the deal was with me. I was an idiot. Uh, anyway, so the, in this Death Star, they must destroy it, but there's only one weak, weak spot, one weak point in this massive space station. And so they send in all of these Jedis and these uh, starfighters, and they're going to go in, and in the midst of this process, the starfighters are blowing up like crazy, okay? The, the evil empire is lighting them up, like literally, boom, 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 and they're all disintegrating. And there's a one chubby pilot in the, one of the X-wing fighters telling everyone else and kind of encouraging everyone else, stay on target. Don't be distracted by the mess of the world around you. Stay on target. I think that's Paul's message. He's saying it to the Thessalonians, your world's a mess. Don't justify the evil things. Don't call them good. Stay on target. Don't get distracted. 
by the junk of the world. Don't even get distracted by things that seem to be right and spiritual. Stay on target. Focus. You know who wins. So stay there. Don't be like Jonah. I just put this up here because it's very interesting. Jonah, he knew what the target was and he ran away from the target. And in the midst of running away from the target, he's on the boat and a big storm comes up and he says, but then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea. So they're throwing over the cargo to try to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. Jonah's laying in the belly of the boat thinking, I don't even want to worry about it. Let everything go. It's not my responsibility. And it is, because God had called him something different. Romans 13 says this, and do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here, referring to the Christ coming back. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. All right, here it is, Twinkies. I had several of you say to me, how do you expect us to pay attention when you have Twinkies up there the whole time? I'm sorry for that, okay? But Twinkies. If you saw someone and they take the Twinkie and they're eating the Twinkie, I do this sometimes because I get famished, is really what this boils down to. But if they take the Twinkie, excuse me a moment. I wonder how that sounded on the live stream. But they take the Twinkie and they're eating the Twinkie and you ask them, well, so what are you eating? Cake. You're not eating cake. I can tell you that. In fact, I can prove it. This is what you're eating. Okay? This is not cake. This is what this is. Enriched bleached flour. Flour reduced iron. Niacin. What is niacin? Does anyone know? Gary, you're a... Whatever. Niacin. If it's something good, just call it something good. I'm not going to be able to pronounce all these things. Thiamine, monoitrate, riboflavin, folic acid, water, sugar, corn syrup, high fructose corn syrup, partially hydrogenated vegetable and or animal shortening. Some variations, I kid you not, says tallow. Okay, you're eating tallow. If you're a hunter, you know what tallow is. That's after you pull the skin off of your carcass and it's like all this hardened fat. That's tallow, okay? That's what it says. So the shortening, you're eating tallow. Soybean, cottonseed, and or canola oil, and or, don't you know what you put in it? I don't know. Beef fat, whole eggs, dextrose, soy, lycopene, leavenings, baking soda, those are the leavenings, cornstarch, monocalcium phosphate, modified cornstarch, glucose, whey, glycerin. Glycerin? Is that safe? Soybean oil, salt, monodiglycerides, polysorbonate 60, cornstarch, sodium sterolactone, Natural and artificial, natural and artificial flavors, do you think? As if we didn't know that already, you know? Sorbic acid, potassium sorbate, xanthan gum. I've heard that's in rocket fuel. I'm not kidding. I don't know if it's true or not because I read it online. You never know any of those things. Cellulose gum, enzyme, wheat, wheat flour is like the last ingredient. <laughs> what? Yellow number five and red number 40. 
That's what you're eating. You're not eating cake. Don't fool yourself. We live in a world that is filled with darkness. We've gotten so acclimated to say, yeah, it's probably okay. Yeah, God didn't really mean what he said. I'm, I'm scared for that. I don't want to be that. I think God does mean what he says. And I know my life needs to reflect that. And I'm praying that the Lord and the Holy Spirit will continue to transform me, that I can reflect that. Contrast. If you were eating cake, this is what you'd be eating. Butter, flour, baking powder, salt, sugar, eggs, vanilla, and milk. That's cake. Not this other junk. But somehow we've been convinced that what we're eating here is cake. That's not. This is cake. And I would take a bite right now, except I promised this to Isaac. Trat. It's okay, I don't need the calories. Ah, let's wrap it up. Verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So faith, hope, and love. You see it in this verse again. Paul's done that more than once in this chapter, in this, uh, I should say, this letter to the Thessalonians. He's done this more than once. So let us be sober-minded. In other words, let, use your mind for thinking. Put on the faith and love as a breastplate. In other words, you need protection from this world because they're wanting to throttle your heart. In addition to that, the hope of salvation as a helmet. In other words, you're guarding your head, you're guarding your heart. We can't do it on our own. The elements, the tools for this are in God's hands. God is protect, there to protect your heart and he's there to protect your head. And he does it with the word of God. He does it with his Holy Spirit. But in your hearts, first, first Peter chapter 3, I told you we'd get back to this. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. I was in an airport one time with a group of students. And I had, we had shirts that had a verse on it. I don't remember what the verse was, but because we're going through it as a group, whether it's a missions trip or a trip to, to life conference, it makes no difference. But we're going through the airport. We got the shirts and they got a Bible verse on them. And someone comes up, running up to one of our girls and kind of lays into her with this verse. And it says, or he says to her, it says, wait, you got three seconds or 30 seconds. Tell me uh, the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Wait, what? I don't even know what you just said. And so he hit, hit her on that with that again. It's like, tell me, tell me what is your hope? And just almost very aggressively, I don't think that's what Peter's point was. It wasn't like, okay, defend your faith. He wants us to have a life that is transformed by Jesus Christ so that my life will testify to the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. Words are part of it. We should be able to articulate and testify to the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the love and how I've been transformed by it. But it's more than that. Anyway, so, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope. What hope do you have? Let me tell you, this world is hard. This world is dark. I'm telling you, Jesus is the light. I've seen it. I know the ending, and I'm going to keep my eyes focused on there as best as I can. It's so simple sometimes. We make it so complicated. But do this with gentleness and respect. Verse 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God did not give us Twinkies to eat. He's giving us cake to eat, and it's so much better. He died for us. Whether we are awake or asleep, we may live to, so that we may live together with him. Uh, incidentally here, when it refers to awake or asleep, in this case, it's back to the same word is for death. Just in case you're kind of wondering about 
the significance there. So he died for us, so whether we are awake, living, or whether we are dead. It is to be absent, or absent from the body, to be with Christ, but also then in, in Philippians, when he, he says that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's Paul's words. We may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. This is an encouraging passage of Scripture. We may not see it. We may feel like, wow, this is so heavy. The world is going down around us, but we know the outcome. I wrote in that, that email about Gable Stevenson. I know you're not all wrestling fans. Incredible! Except I've, I heard the ending ahead of time. He wins the gold medal, but the way that he got there was just like, if I hadn't heard it ahead of time, I would have thought it was over. Likewise, we may feel like it's over in this life sometimes. But we know who wins. I'm going to invite... Uh, Chris and Gary, is it Gary helping? Here's the beautiful thing. Not only does Jesus win, but he reminds us of his victory every time we open the word of God. And today we will celebrate that victory together and we will take time and we will remember the victory that he has given to us as we share communion. As Pastor Chris said right at the beginning, we practice open communion. If you are a follower of Christ, you put your faith in him, you are welcome to participate. You do not have to be a member of Alliance Church. You don't even have to be a regular attender of Alliance Church. But you are welcome if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. But as you come, would you be willing to reflect and to pray, Lord, will you... Will you show me how have I justified things? Will you show me what it is that you need me to give over to you so that you can transform in me? And invite the Lord, Lord, do that work in me that you want to do. But even more so, remember that he wins. We have the victory. It is finished. And someday, no matter how it all takes place, we know and can keep our eyes on that target and stay on target, because he is the winner.